This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to have some follow-up, I think, in today's show on last week's most enjoyable chat with Gerald Nachman, author of Seriously Funny, the rebel comedians of the 1950s and 1960s, and of course our good pal Will Durst sounded off on that uh, that episode as well. And so as follow-up, I thought we would um, talk with another comedic pal of ours, Phil Proctor of the Firesign Theater. We'll be chatting with the always amusing Mr. Proctor in our second segment today. On a more serious note, we need to talk about health care in this country, particularly, I suppose, because I actually am a practicing physician. It's a topic I've been reluctant to, to really go into detail on sometimes because I don't know the answers. I can just tell you how bad the problem is. But of course, to come up with a treatment, you have to have a good diagnosis. So to take a look at that, we're going to speak with some uh, local person who has some expertise in this area. That'll be one Denise Fitzgerald, who will be uh, joining us to give us a sort of an overview of what's going on, and we'll be returning to the topic in the weeks and months to come. We'll do a bit of that in our third segment today. We'll also talk about an obit- a political obituary that I think is um, possibly a harbinger of some things to come. We'll talk about that in segment three. And of course, we're looking forward to hear from our good pal Will Durst as well. But let's begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History. The date in history in question today is the 13th of May. It was on May 13th in 1898 that American inventor Thomas Edison sued American Mutoscope and Biograph Pictures, claiming that the studio infringed on his patent for the Kinetograph movie camera. I don't know what the story was on this, but I do know that uh, Thomas Edison made a lot of headway with lawyers (laughs) trying to sue people, while he himself did not have a reputation for being someone who was, let's say, above lifting other people's good ideas. On this date in 1915, during World War I, South African Prime Minister General Louis Berta personally led his troops into the field and captured the territory of German Southwest Africa, which the Republic of South Africa then ruled up till, I guess, 1991. Or is it 1990? I was there, and I can't remember. I was there three weeks before independence of the new nation of Namibia. And I'm guessing that was 1990. Interesting place, Namibia, the world's largest sand dunes. I've got to tell that story sometime on the air. But at any rate, on this same day in 1915, which was less than a week after the sinking of the Lusitania, King George V of England and the UK severed ties with his cousin, the German Kaiser. And no, I'm not sure what they meant by severing ties. I guess they didn't have tea parties together. But uh, two years later, he went further and renounced his German surname and replaced it with the name Windsor, as in the castle, which you have to admit, does sound very British. Speaking of 1917, on May 13th of that year, three peasant children near Fatima, Portugal, claimed to have seen a vision of the Virgin Mary. And uh, based on this less-than-bulletproof evidence, a, a shrine eventually was established at Fatima. I do know that the last surviving of the three children had become a nun, and supposedly had a, uh, a letter typed up or written up of what uh, the Virgin Mary told her to be delivered to the Pope. 
Apparently, the vision of the Virgin Mary's prognostication ability was no better than that of the amazing Criswell. Here's one I love. On this date in 1924, German actress Marlena Dietrich and Rudolf Sieber were married. According to the History Channel's Today in History, the source of so many of these items, the match lasted for more than 50 years. I'm assuming their longevity had something to do with the fact that they must have had some sort of understanding about having an open marriage. Either that or Mr. Sieber was deaf, dumb, and blind. Because his wife was, I guess you'd say, socially active. But you know what? I'll bet he was too. Finally, it was on May 13th in 1938 that American musician and legend Louis Armstrong and his orchestra recorded When the Saints Go Marching In for Decca Records. The song remains a New Orleans jazz favorite. Marching in When the saints go marching in Yes, I want to be in that number When the saints go marching in Our quote of the day comes from author Helen Glasgow, reported in The Week magazine, who said, No idea is so antiquated that it was not once modern. No idea is so modern that it will not someday be antiquated. Speaking of antiquated ideas, our bonus quote comes from the late Russian President Boris Yeltsin, who said, Communism was just an idea. Just pie in the sky. Our quote of the day comes from David Letterman, who said, The State Department has now warned against travel to the tribal regions of Pakistan. There goes my summer vacation. And our bonus quip slash joke of the day comes from the immortal Will Rogers, who once said, you've got to go out on a limb sometimes because that's where the fruit is. I got another quote slash joke of the day. It wasn't meant to be a joke. We've been sitting on this one for months. Apparently, retired Lieutenant General Tom McInerney said some months back, relating to airport security reforms in the wake of the thwarted bomb plot, quote, if you're an 18 to 28-year-old Muslim man, then you should be strip-searched. We're, we're hoping that's why they retired him. Our stat of the day, and it's a sad one, is that an overwhelming majority of Americans, 76% in fact, get to work by driving alone. Only 10.4% carpool and only 4.9% use mass transit. That's according to the Washington Post. Need to get our bicycling correspondent uh, Paul Dorn back on to talk about uh, you know a really good alternative. We got to find out where Willie Weir has been bicycling off to lately. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for breast men. After a British department store said it had sold out of bras with a 20-inch wide double K cup. A spokesman said, many large sizes we sell regularly were unheard of a decade ago. 
And no, we don't know whether that's from obesity or whether that's from uh, the effect of augmentation mammoplasty. We just don't know. It was also considered a bad week for breast men last week after Virginia Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli distributed lapel pins to his staff with an altered version of the state seal. In the state seal, apparently the right breast of the Roman goddess Virtus is exposed. In the Attorney General's pin, her breast is covered in armor. Fill in your own joke here. Apparently encasing a breast in armor is preferable to leaving it bare. Go figure. Finally, it was an ugly week last week for accountability after Texas Governor Rick Perry, remember remember talking about him a couple weeks back? Well, lest you think I was exaggerating, Governor Perry said in the wake of this massive oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico that this event should not be blamed on the oil industry. He called such spills, quote, acts of God that cannot be prevented, unquote. Now, as far as we know, it was not the Almighty himself who placed a drilling platform out in the Gulf. So we're inclined to believe the blame is a little more specific. Actually, now that my interest has been piqued, I'm pulling out that Newsweek with Rick Perry on the cover. See if we can find another quote from this moron. Okay, that didn't take very long. Apparently, Governor Perry told a crowd of uh, tea partiers that he didn't regard them as extremists. Quote, but if you are, I'm with you, unquote. According to Newsweek, he was immediately embraced by right-wing talk show host Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh, whom Perry made an honorary Texan. I would have thought somebody would have made Rush Limbaugh an honorary Texan a long time ago. Anyway, from the Only in America file, we have the following. A Chicago woman who drunkenly fell through the window of a hair salon is now suing the owners of the salon for having the wrong sort of glass. While Melanie Shaker admits she lost her balance during a drunken fight with her husband... (laughs) She says the salon owner should have installed special safety glass since the sidewalk out front is, quote, frequently traveled by intoxicated pedestrians, unquote. And, you know, people in other countries think we're making this kind of stuff up. But I'll tell you, just having a little episode in the legal system of this country myself of late, wherein some knucklehead tried to pull a stunt that fortunately he did not get away with, I think all I can say is if we practiced medicine in this country the way we practice law, I think our life expectancies would still be in the 40s. Okay, news roundup. My favorite headline of the week. How about this one? The oil spill. Does it mean the end of new drilling? Well, I don't know. But one kind of hopes they're going to give that a good hard look, don't you think? Commenting in Time.com, Brian Walsh said just a few weeks ago, Obama announced he was lifting a decades-old drilling ban off parts of the Atlantic and Pacific coasts. But as the administration braces itself for images of oiled birds and blackened shorelines, it now says there will be no new drilling until authorities figure out what caused the BP oil blowout. That's assuming, of course, they rule out God. And of course, doesn't your heart just sink when you find out that one of the people involved in this fiasco was Halliburton? And, and I love this quote from Dana Milbank in the Washington Post saying, so much for the idea that the government is the enemy. Suddenly, conservative Republicans whose states are in the path of the widening oil slick, like 
Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal and Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions are now clamoring for Washington to rescue the affected communities with cleanup help, emergency supplies, and every possible resource. Noted Dana Milbank, through oil-fouled water, big government looks better and better. There's something not looking better and better, at least to this correspondent, is the fact that the Boy Scouts, and I'll admit I, I never was a Boy Scout, but I still find this disturbing. The Boy Scouts are now offering a merit badge for video gaming. What's next, said the Toronto Globe and Mail, a badge for watching TV? Yes, this does seem like a rather desperate effort for the Boy Scouts to think they're keeping pace with the digital society. But people have noted that with uh, the membership in the Scouts down 25% in the last decade and the average American boy playing seven hours of video games a week, well, this might be thought of as a necessary concession. Not to this correspondent. I always admired the Boy Scouts for the outdoorsy skills they taught people. Which to me seems you know, an awful long way from shooting the heads off of Doberman Pinschers on a TV screen. And you know, we've kind of gotten away from the Jackass of the Week awards. And I think we need to get back to it at least once in a while. Because the legislature of the state of Oklahoma certainly is a worthy recipient this week. They apparently passed a measure requiring all pregnant women seeking an abortion to have ultrasounds and mandating that doctors, quote, set up the monitor so the woman can see it while the doctor describes the fetus's heart, limbs, and organs. Mr. McMillan? All right, I want to alert you to something coming up Sunday, May 16th, the National Geographic Channel, something we've talked about on this program. I think I'll just quote the blurb on it. In uh, 1859... A massive solar storm disrupted telegraph systems worldwide. Experts examine the aftermath and ask if such an event might have more drastic effects today. That last statement comes from the duh file. <laughs> this is something they call the Carrington event, based on a man who was observing sunspots and, and drawing them, apparently, when he saw firsthand a solar flare erupt on the uh, surface of the sun. A titanic solar flare, which a few hours later when it struck the Earth disrupted all of the primitive electrical equipment uh, around the world, which consisted basically that time of a few telegraph lines. Such an event is bound to repeat itself sooner or later, and it's not going to be a question of if it might have even more drastic effects. It's going to have catastrophic effects when it does. You know, I was hoping the National Geographic would send us a little, uh, little, little promo on this for a guest to interview, but uh, they didn't. We've got to quote some time uh, <laughs> for this program. Some of the crazy stuff were sent as publicists pitch us various ideas. Actually, I've got one in front of me. Let me run one past you, dear listener. On the heels of both Earth Day and World Malaria Day, I have available author and director of Africa Fighting Malaria, Richard Blank. This guy, Blank, and, and the doctors of at Africa Fighting Malaria are opposed to those that made DDT illegal. Long story short, DDT eradicated malaria in the U.S. and Europe, but when the push was made to make it illegal, developing nations paid the consequence with millions of people dying. Those behind the DDT ban literally have the blood of millions of people on their hands. Well, yeah, DDT did certainly help in the battle against malaria, but DDT alone is not why it was eradicated in the U.S. and Europe. 
And duh, DDT builds up in the environment and has grave consequences for wildlife. It's certainly not a panacea. So uh, we passed on that one. But I did like the fact the publicist said, for a little more background, below is a Wall Street Journal op-ed piece. Now, as you know, if you listen to this program, we don't tend to rely much on Wall Street Journal editorials. But by the same token, we very seldom rely upon Grandma, the official organ of the Communist Party of Cuba. Oh, I'm sure some good writing goes into both. Very inventive stuff, sometimes having a bearing on the real world. Other times, perhaps not so much. I don't know, this gives me pause sometimes, though, because I, you know, I really should read more fiction. Speaking of fiction, we want to thank Gary for sending us a, a review, a couple of reviews from the Bay Area about the new book, Contested Will, by James Shapiro. Evidently, Mr. Shapiro is yet another one of these English majors who decides to get uh, to the world of historical research. Interestingly, there was an interview uh, among the papers sent to me by Gary that included what the Wall Street Journal had to say in an interview with Mr. Shapiro. This exchange is worth quoting. Very few serious Shakespeare scholars have taken on this controversy. Why did you decide to address it, Mr. Shapiro? There are certain things you can't say or do in academia, and one of them is to talk about who wrote Shakespeare. But there are only so many times you can be asked that question. The straw that broke the back for me was when a fourth grader asked me that question, and I realized it had come to this. Well, dear listener, if you take the time to look at this most curious historical controversy, you will find that the evidence that the man from Stratford-on-Avon did not write the plays is pretty compelling. And in that, we refer you to our own archives in our interview with Mark Anderson, whose excellent book, Shakespeare by Another Name, we talked about at great length. I do want to say one thing. In the case of people like James Shapiro and others, it's good that they joined the English department because their marshalling of facts and logic, so important to those of us in the sciences, well, let's just say it doesn't appear to be their strong suit. I do want to note, as a curiosity, that I did have a chance to ask UC Berkeley English professor Peter Dale Scott what he thought about the controversy. Now, Peter Dale Scott is a man whose investigations of uh, political skullduggery, what he calls deep politics, is legendary. Yet when I brought up Shakespeare, he said... On that one, I'm an agnostic. And by the way, speaking of opinions, you know the ones you hear on this program? Well, we have to point out from time to time that they do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. Having said that, of course, we have an uncanny knack for accuracy. And so does, in his own way, America's foremost political comic, Mr. Will Durst, who I think we'll uh, hear from now. Hey guys, Will Durst here to talk about the Deepwater Horizon oil spill washing towards our southern coast like a trunken lobbyist staggering towards a free seafood buffet. This may be the most monumental attack of sludge to hit American shores since Ann Coulter's latest book. Hard to say what's frightening the residents of the Gulf Coast more. The toxic slick bearing down on them or the dubious comfort that our government is poised to come to their assistance. Leaping into action, Congress appointed a panel. And many residents can imagine FEMA busy loading trucks full of ice destined never to be delivered. Looks like those cries of drill baby drill may give way for a while to cap baby cap, 
But right now, let's just lie, baby, lie. BP, which stands for brainless pinheads, tried spraying chemicals in the lake to disperse it, but had to stop because the dispersant might be doing more harm than good. They don't know. Turns out, these guys don't know a lot. They don't know how many barrels of oil a day are leaking into one of the world's most fertile fishing grounds. They don't know how long it's going to take to clean up or if it can be cleaned up. They don't know whether the oil can get caught up in loop currents and carry through the keys into the Atlantic. And most importantly, they don't know how to close the hole in the floor of the Caribbean. You'd think a company that makes its living poking holes into the bottom of seas would have a plan to close them, wouldn't you? Well, you'd be wrong. Maybe we could just plug the hole up with BP CEO Tony Hayward. Wait a minute, didn't I use that joke last week? Oh, no, 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 that was Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein. Well, whatever works. It's a big hole. Maybe we could use both of them. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Anyway, always a pleasure to hear from Mr. Durst, and I hope that some of you caught him at the crest last Saturday. I know I said I was going to be there, and if anyone traveled out to the crest to meet yours truly, and I doubt that any of you did, but in case anyone did, I'm sorry that I didn't make it till after the show. In the process of trying to run a business, uh, shoot some commercials, and just have too many balls in the air sometimes. But uh, it was great, uh, great fun to be able to join Durst after the show, have a beer with him and James Israel, publisher of the Humor Times, along with uh, Gary Chu, movie columnist for the Humor Times, and uh, three up-and-coming young comics here in Sacramento, Keith Lowell Jensen, who was the opening act for Will at the Crest, along with uh, Nick Bruner and uh, Michael O'Connell. Nick's been on the show, and we'll probably have Michael on in the future. It was fun uh, chatting with uh, Will and others about uh, comedy, especially in the wake of our, our chat last week about rebel comedians. Will had some kind words to say about uh, the Fireside Theater, and I forwarded those on to Phil Proctor. Durst had an anecdote courtesy of his wife about uh, Carol Channing, which I, I, I literally hit the floor over. Aww. Regrettably, the taste of the joke was such that I am not able to repeat it for you, dear listener. Well, let me think about it. There may be a way to phrase it. Uh, I don't know. At any rate, I'm vowing to have more comedy on this program uh, in the future, starting in our next segment. So let's take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. We expect to be joined momentarily by the legendary Phil Proctor himself of the Firesign Theater. Thank you. 